Is it possible to lose our salvation? After we've trusted in Jesus, are we safe and secure? What about people who fall back into sinful patterns? Or maybe those who deconstruct their faith and deny Jesus? Stay with me, because the security of the believer is the subject of our program today. Hello, friends. Welcome to Open Line with Dr. Michael Rydelnik. This is Moody Radio's Bible study across America. My name is Michael Rydelnik. I'm the academic dean and professor of Jewish studies and Bible at Moody Bible Institute. So glad to be sitting around the radio kitchen table with you. Normally, your questions about the Bible, God, and the spiritual life drive this program. But today is a special pre-recorded program. If you have a question, don't call. You can't send it in. You can go to openlineradio.org. You'll see a form called Ask Michael a Question. You can fill that out, and it will be answered. Your question will be answered on a future program. Trisha McMillan is our producer today. Handling all things technical is Courtney Young. Grateful for them. Now, what I've done today is I've assembled a dream team of panelists so we can (laughs) discuss this topic today. Uh, First of all, Mike Van Lanningham, my partner on the two Michaels when we are on Chris Favory. Uh, Mike Van Lanningham's here. He is returning to Moody Bible Institute next month. He's going to start teaching adjunct once again, and I can't believe we're going to subject our students to you once again. That's what we're going to we do. We should yeah. all be praying for them right now. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> four students, that's it. Yeah. Secondly, also here is Cisco Cotto. Cisco is a Chicago radio newsman. He's a pastor, and now... I guess it officially began July 1st. It did. Yeah. yeah. July 1st, he's joining the faculty of Moody Bible Institute in pastoral studies. He's uh, really one of my favorite people uh, to talk about ministry issues with. We talk all the time, and he's the one that really helped me when I started on the radio uh, about what I should say and especially what I shouldn't say on the radio. (laughs) Thank you, Cisco. Glad you're here. Thanks. And also now, my favorite person to talk about the scriptures with a faculty member at Moody Bible Institute, and uh, she is an adjunct faculty member. She's a contributor to the Moody Bible Commentary. She's a contributor to the Moody Handbook of Messianic Prophecy, and she's also my wife, Eva Rydelnik. I'm glad oh, you're here so with me so fun today. to be here with you guys. Yeah. yeah. Now, Eva, you make sure you tell these guys what to say the same I'll, way you I've do. I've got their numbers. I'll just text them like okay. I do you, okay? Exactly. That's what we'll do. Good. <laughs> Uh, Well, it's going to be a great discussion, everyone, so go grab yourself a cup of coffee, open your Bible. We're going to study the scriptures together as we talk about the security of the believer. And I want to start with what I would call one of my pet peeves, okay? And I get, we get a lot of questions about the security of the believer and can I lose my salvation? And that's why we've chosen this program. But I'll start with my pet peeve and I'll see if anyone else, if it bothers anyone else or what you would have to say. Here's my pet peeve. People will frequently call, particularly those who don't believe that a believer is secure, who believe that one can lose their salvation, and they'll say, I want to talk about once saved, always saved. And I feel like this is pejorative, but is it? So I I want input from you guys. Um, I mean, it, it it does sound a little... A little presumptuous, almost. You know, once save, always save. Well, I, I can't lose my salvation, and I, you know, it, it sounds. It can be arrogant. I think it can come across that way. Mm-hmm. But I think sometimes uh, I think it sounds mocking. 
Well, I mean, when people when people who are on the other side of the fence, yeah, that's say, what I mean. They're the ones that say you know, it. Yeah, I I actually uh, prefer a phrase as we're talking about the security of a believer's salvation. Um, I don't like perseverance of the saints. I like preservation of the saints. Okay, because I think that's what God does. I think we um, persevere in our saving faith in Christ because God has determined to preserve us and to keep us believing. We believe, and He keeps us believing, and so. To me, that's a better way to understand it. Uh, yeah, I prefer the phrase, the perseverance of the Savior. There you uh, go. That's yeah. Good. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. When you hear that phrase, once saved, always saved, I, I think sometimes what's behind it is the thought, I'm saved, so that means I can go do whatever I want. Yeah. And you know, no matter what, I can't lose this salvation. Which, if that's your mindset, if that's your heart, then I think we can question whether your a person really knows the Lord. That's right, right. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, that's what I, uh, yeah, I think. Yeah, it, it could be an innocent question. Maybe somebody just innocently is asking it, but I think the phrasing itself yeah. kind of raises warning lights. Yeah, that's it. And I, so I always just talk about, and the, by the way, that's, I think the perseverance of the Savior is really what we're talking about. Yeah. It's not based on my effort. In any way, shape, or form, it's based on his ability to hold me, and and that's uh, that's what we're going to talk about today. But I just wanted to start with, get it right out there because there are probably people listening. They're going, oh, they're going to talk about once saved, always saved. They've already turned off the radio. Yeah, exactly. So that's it. <laughs> no, no one ever turns off the radio. That's it. Never going to happen. Okay. Now, uh, I think the best way to start is to start with the positive case for the security of the believer or the perseverance of the Savior, or what did you call it, Mike V? The preservation of the preservation saints. Preservation of the saints. Okay, I, I want to start, and in my opinion, I believe that the entire Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, is involved in preserving a believer. And uh, the reason I think this is that all the, you know, the one God in three persons is committed to us. And so I think if we really understand how the Father saves us, we'll understand, for example, how the Father is involved, if we understand the Son and the Holy Spirit. So that's where I want to start. I want to start with uh, the the Father's role in preserving us. And there's, I, I want to start just real quickly, I'm going to throw this out, and then you kind of uh, take it from there. Uh, I believe in 1 John 1, 5, it says, that, and we all know this, the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light, there is no darkness in him at all. God is completely holy. And therefore, we're in trouble because humanity is utterly sinful. Uh, We were dead in our transgressions and sins. If we were to, in any way, come before the Father, (laughs) what hope have we got? Nada, nothing. And so that's why salvation must be by grace, Uh, that it's not something we earn, not something we do. Even if if faith were somehow uh, a work, then it wouldn't be able to save us. So now take it from there. Where is it that we're taught that salvation is utterly by grace? Well, so many passages. I mean, probably my favorite is um, found in Romans chapter 8. Of course it would be Romans chapter 8 if it's me. <laughs> it's Romans chapter 8, right? You know, um, that's that's the only part of the Bible I've ever studied is Romans chapter 8. I don't mean that. So, um, you know, in 
in verse in verse 38 Romans 8, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, angels or principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And before that, you know, my favorite verse, Romans 8, 28, but then Paul says in verse 29, you know, that we've been called in verse 28 according to God's purpose. Well, what's his purpose? He explains it in verse 29 and 30. And he starts the explanation with a word that explains, for, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren, and those whom he predestined, he also called, those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. And so the tense there that's used is interesting, but I think it reflects um, a settled condition. And uh, if that is God's purpose... To do all those things from predestined, um, you know, called, you, glorified. You know what you're doing here, Mike. What's that? The minute you start with predestined and all that. Yeah. Now we're going to have to do a whole other program about. Uh, all in favor signify by saying aye. Election and predestination. Yeah. Now the, the people who maybe were agreeing with us about security of the believer, they're, they're, they've got their hands over they're, their ears. Right. They're flapping they're around. They, they, they're flapping but around. we'll talk about that later. So it's, so it's God's purpose that, yeah. that, that this should be a package deal. And, nothing, and this golden chain of five things isn't going to be broken. And it says in Job chapter 42... That no purpose of God's can be thwarted. Well, it's God's purpose to for no predestined call, justify, and glorify. And so it's a package thing that God mm-hmm. has determined to do. Yeah, I think that that's vital. Did you want to throw something? Well, in if here? you to the to the point you made, Mike, the if you can lose your salvation, if you're sort of teetering here moment by moment, then that would have to mean that that predestination, that calling, that justification. That, that those are fluid, that they can go back and forth day to day as well, which, which we would not believe. Those are things that God initiates, things that God accomplishes. And so that's why we can have confidence that day by day we're, we're not sort of walking this tightrope. Yeah. You know, I want, I want to uh, mention this other verse because I think it's so crucial. Uh, Romans three twenty four through 28 says, We're justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Jesus the Messiah, God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He, he did this, God did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It's excluded. On what principle? On that of observing the law? No, but that of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified. The word justified means declared righteous. The man, A man and a woman is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Do you know what Paul is saying there? That God is just. How is he just? And how is he the justifier? He remains just, Um and by that we mean fair. We mean uh, non-corrupt in sort of a judicial sense. If God were just simply to say, okay, I love this person, and yes, he's a sinner, um, but I'm just going to let him into heaven anyway without— I'm going to overlook his sin. I'm going to overlook his sin. Well, that would be like a judge, you know, uh, if a bank robber got hauled, hauled into a judge, 
The judge can't just say, okay, yeah, you robbed a bank. We know you did it, but I'm going to let you go free. But God can't do that. He would be unjust to do that. But um, in his plan, he judges our sin in the death of his son, the sacrificial death of his son. So the judgment of sin is still accomplished, but the sinner who trusts in Christ is, is able to escape the punishment that he deserves because God punished his own son in his death upon the cross and then raised him from the dead to show that he's victorious over um, sin and death. So someone I once heard say that justification is legal fiction. It's not. Right. Because the Messiah paid for that. The Lord Jesus died taking the punishment we deserve. And so now when God declares us righteous, it's not on the basis of our behavior, but on his behavior. We have the righteousness of Jesus by faith, and that's how God declares us. You know, we're going to come back. Eva's got a verse she wants to raise. And when we come back, uh, we're going to talk more about the triune God's role in preserving us in our salvation. So don't go away. You're listening to a special open line with my panel. We're discussing the security of the believer, the perseverance of the Savior, the preservation of the sinner, how God saves us. We're going to talk about that more in just a moment. Stay right there. We're coming right back at you. The Old Testament books of Psalms and Proverbs teach us biblical life lessons and principles that are too important to skip over. That's why we'd like to send you the commentaries on Psalms and Proverbs taken from the Moody Bible Commentary. Learn how the poetry and prophecy in these two books apply to our lives. You can request your copy today when you give a gift of any amount to OpenLine. Call 888-644-7122 or give online at openlineradio.org. We're back. My name is Michael Wright Dunlick. This program is called Open Line. Normally, you call, you set the agenda uh, with your calls about the Bible, God, and the spiritual life. But today, we're doing a special pre-recorded program. I've got a panel here. Here, I'm, I'm from New England. No, uh, <laughs> panel here. Uh, Eva Wright Dunlick is here. Michael Van Lanningham and Cisco Cotto, uh, all faculty at Moody Bible Institute, and we're talking about the security of the believer. Can a believer who truly knows Jesus lose their salvation? And we were talking about how the entire Godhead is involved in preserving the believer, and we talked about how God is the one. It is not based on our works. It is based on God being just and and punishing the Lord Jesus for our sins, and then being the justifier. He declares us righteous because we have the imputed righteousness of Jesus. I was when you think about that's Eva. Yep, when you think about um, what Michael was just saying, and Mike Van Lanningham had said a minute ago um, about the death of the Lord Jesus, that it it's even has a I think a, a broader biblical background than just the punishment for sin. It's all built on the sacrificial system, which was set up in which, uh, which was from from the from the Torah from Moses when in the Levitical system. And that God always demanded a sacrifice for sin, which were done year after year after year um, by the people of Israel, by the priesthood in the tabernacle, in the temple. And then the Lord Jesus came as that final sacrifice for sin, as that final payment for sin, as the final uh, satisfaction to God for 
for sin of the offerer, who is anyone who believes in him. And it makes me think of 2 Corinthians 5.21, where it says, He, the Father, made him, the Lord Jesus, who knew no sin, to be a sin offering on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Mm-hmm. So yes. the involvement of the Father and the Son yeah. in that. And it but says it's the that, Father who gave him, just like for God so loved the world, he gave, gave. his one and only Son. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, well, the the verse I think of when we're talking about justification by faith is Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for by grace or God's kindness are we saved. Uh, it's not of works. Uh, it is by grace through faith. It is, uh, that's the key idea. It is by grace through faith. It's not of works, lest anyone should boast. Uh, it's It's so clear. I remember once there was a guy that was a contractor at, at our house and he was building a deck and I was having a glass of iced tea with him afterwards. And he was raised in a really Christian tradition. And I asked him, how was it that he would know that God forgave his sins and he could spend eternity with him? He said, well, I try to be a really good person. And he started telling me all these things. And I said, well, let's look at this verse. And I opened my Bible and I read it upside down. That's the key, I think, to uh, sharing your, uh, presenting your faith. We read Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Uh, upside down. I did it. He read it up, right side up. <laughs> and he, he looked at it and he said, that's what I believe. <laughs> and at that moment he believed because he knew he was never going to be good enough. Well, And it was by grace through faith that he came to know the Lord. Here's my point, that why we've been talking about all these verses, uh, last segment, this segment. If we can't earn our salvation by being good, how in the world can we lose it by being bad? You know, when we do wrong things, people think, oh, this is this sin. God forgave those little sins. But this big one, he'll never forgive. What do you think? Uh, can we think of biblical examples of really, really big sinners? Well, let, I mean, let me say, well, yeah, just a few, right? Just a few, King David? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> What I find, I've been a pastor for many, many years, and when people bring this this question up, there's often a skepticism there because it it seems too easy. Of course, if you say it's too easy, you don't understand what Christ went through. Exactly. But it seems too easy. Wait, wait a minute. You mean he dies? Uh, I place my faith in him. I'm I'm forgiven. God, God invites me into his family. It, it just the idea of grace, the idea of a free gift. We're naturally skeptical, and so we're looking for the fine print. Mm-hmm. You know, where, where's the asterisk here? There's got to yeah. be something more than that, and we just have to keep repeating over and over again what Scripture says. No, it really is that simple. Okay, really what is. would you say? I have a friend, he he calls me frequently, and he's had issues that he falls back into. And, he's, and he, he, he has been well taught. I've been friends with him for a long time. My, I've taught him the Scriptures. I have a really dear friend. Larry, who taught him the scriptures, we we talk about it all the time uh, with uh, other pastors uh, that I've known. I've known this friend forever, and he falls back into, you know, every time he sins, I get a call. Well, do you think this one was the worst? Am mm-hmm. I have I lost it now? And the question then becomes, uh, what do I say to him? Yeah, there's, there's, um, I, I love how I started that comment. Yeah, it makes it sound like I'm Swedish or something. Yeah, which I'm not, so, um, yeah, sure. Yeah, um, you know, it's it's so interesting. I think, I mean, there's all kinds of things you could say. 
all kinds of things, some of the passages we've already looked at. I think the fact that he, that he claims to know Christ as Savior and having trusted him and that he struggles with some of these things, the struggle is enormously important. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, Paul says, I say, walk by the Spirit. You will not carry out the desire of the flesh. That is not consistently, not always. And then in verse 17, for the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. Let me suggest that if we did not have the Spirit dwelling within us, we wouldn't struggle. We wouldn't struggle against things. But the fact... (laughs) But the fact that he, that he has this struggle, having trusted Christ, and he has the struggle, the struggle is not an indication that he's not saved. His struggle is an indication that he is, that he has the Spirit dwelling within him. And the Spirit doesn't let him get away with doing evil things all the time. He's under conviction. He feels terrible about it. He, he doesn't want to displease the Lord. I'm saying, well, that sounds like someone who really doesn't know him, does it? So, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Right. <laughs> you know what I, t- I tell them because I, I've had people like that too. You don't always tell them. I, I say uh, you're, you're in good company. You're, you're in good company with the Apostle Paul. Yeah. Who uh, Romans seven? For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. Yeah. Uh, th- th- this wrestling, as Mike said, that's that's what happens now that you have the Holy Spirit active. Before yeah. you come to faith in Christ, you just give on in. Yeah. You don't even think about it. You, you just sort of do whatever you want to do. And now the fact yeah. that you're in that wrestling match, it shows God's at work. Yeah, I think that's so so vital to remember. So the Father has done great works. What you're going to add? I was going to say that the Lord knew this is how. He, humans are. He made yeah. us. He knew what we're like. And I think that's why there are so many verses about standing firm, standing firm. If we weren't likely to give up and turn loose and fall over, he wouldn't be reminding us over and over again to stand firm. Okay. Well, here's the question. Is this a license to sin since we're saved by grace? No. Um, in in Titus, I think it's Titus. Uh, let me find it here real quick. It talks about how... Um, um, I was thinking in verse, of, in t- Titus two eleven. So mm-hmm. for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men and women, and then it says, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Salvation by grace, a license to sin? Of course not. It it um, salvation by grace with the indwelling triune God is is the empowerment to be able to live in a way that's pleasing to him. But grace doesn't give us a license to do that stuff. When we, when we sin, even as Christians who are born again, it messes up our life. We don't lose our salvation, but it messes up our, our life here and now. And we, we need to say that, that you know, while, while we would still die and go to heaven, even in the midst of a commission of sin— But we have to admit the fact that sin really takes an incredible bad toll on us Mm -hmm. who are saved. Yeah, it does. I mean, I'm reading the life of David now. I know he's Old Testament, but I I love the Old Testament. (laughs) As Walter Kaiser says, I love the the New Testament because it reminds me so much of the Old. So I love the Old Testament. It reminds me so much of the New. And I just looked at David's big fat sin with Bathsheba and Uriah. And now I'm watching what's going on with his life as I've been reading through Mm -hmm. Samuel. And the consequences of that sin were devastating. And I just thought he had a daughter that was raped. 
incestuously by her brother, uh, a bro- that brother then murdered by his brother, and then the brother that murdered the brother kicked out of the kingdom, brought back, launches a rebellion, drives David from the throne. I'm like, man, does he have bad consequences in his right. life. But, you know, God still preserves him, brings him back to the throne. Uh, I think that that is such a great model that even though we can mess our lives up with sin, he's so faithful, uh, he thwarts the counsel of Ahithophel so that David can get back on the throne. I, I think that, that that's sort of a great lesson for those of us who commit some, and I, I'm right there, we sin, we and we may mess we may, we may mess our lives up, but God's going to preserve us. Yeah, see, that reminder is good of the the painful consequences of sin in our lives, in the lives of the people that we care about. Because sometimes when that question is asked, uh, you know, well, can, can I go on sinning? Can I just sort of do whatever I want? It, it, it juxtaposes my salvation, my getting into heaven, my getting out of hell with this sin, not realizing it's not just about heaven and hell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a big deal, but it's also about what kind of an influence am I having in the world around me? Uh, you know, how, how am I leading other people? How am I possibly hurting other people? Uh, sin is much, much bigger than just am I getting into heaven mm-hmm. or not. Yeah, and should we sin that grace might abound? May it never be. Chasva Chalila. That's how we say it in Hebrew. May it never be. Uh, it's, uh, that's something that we ought never to consider because it, that mocks the grace of God if we do that. Mm. We should be so great. So when we do sin, we have assurance. We have forgiveness. We have eternity. But it doesn't. that can't be something that we minimize or mock. So, well, we're going to talk more. We're going to talk next about the son's role in our redemption and our security. So stick with us. This panel is going to give us some great insights in the role of the Lord Jesus in preserving us. You're listening to Open Line with Michael Rydelnik and my panel, Mike Van Lanningham, Cisco Cotto, and Eva Rydelnik. Stay right there. We're coming right back. Like joining me today for a special pre-recorded program, so don't call, uh, is Mike Van Lanningham. He's an adjunct professor at Moody Bible Institute, Cisco Cotto, who is just starting as a professor in applied theology or pastoral studies. Cisco Cotto is well known to our Chicago audience because he's on another station. Uh, <laughs> is that how we say it? Yeah, another, another station. station. <laughs> uh, uh, he's the anchor of the morning news on WBBM. News Radio 78, right? And 105.9 FM. Oh, there we go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and also, Eva Rydelnik, who's an adjunct professor at Moody Bible Institute as well, and uh, my wife, and the one who teaches me the scriptures all the time. Uh, okay, we've talked about the Father's role in salvation, uh, and we're now going to talk about uh, the Son's role in our in our redemption, and why that secures us. And I want to start with the passage that I, when people ask me, why do you believe in the security of the believer? You have one verse you can cite, or one paragraph of Scripture, one point that you can make. I start with John 6 and go to verses 37 through 40. And basically what John 6 says is that all that the Father has given me will come to me. That's so the you know that does sort of imply that God draws the 
the person to faith. All that the Father has given me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, the Lord Jesus says, I will certainly not cast out. So he'll receive us when we come to him. And then it says, I have come not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose not one of them. Now, when I look at that verse, that sounds like the Lord Jesus will receive me when I come to him by faith, and he will absolutely keep me. And if he won't keep me, what he is doing is he is not doing the Father's will. And if he's not doing the Father's will, then he's not the Messiah. I am denying who Jesus is. He is not God the Son. He is not the Messiah. He is not the Lord of all creation. If he for one moment doesn't do the Father's will, he's not who he claimed to be. He's not the resurrected Lord. And therefore, I can be absolutely confident he will keep me. I am secure in knowing that he will not lose one of us who have come to him. So I just look at anyone that's wondering about their salvation. I look at all three of you guys, and I'd say, hey, can the Lord Jesus, have you come to the Lord Jesus? You think he'll ever lose you? Absolutely not. So Now, you touched on that earlier, that, that we, and I, I came from a tradition that made it so that I, I was always, as a kid, I was always wrestling. Am, am I good enough? Have I done enough? Am I, am I really in? And the people around me would say, well, you never really know until you get there. You know, you, you really never know until the other side. And, and so I, I wrestled with that a lot um, and needed to be first taught and now reminded of the fact that it's not me. We touched on this earlier. It's mm-hmm. not me. It's not what I'm doing. If so... It's a lost cause. Yeah. It's what Christ has done. Mm-hmm. It's what he has accomplished. And that that I can have total confidence in. Yeah. And and the thing is, he'll always do the Father's will. Yeah. He and his what is the Father's will that he lose not one of us? Can you believe that? I mean, how securing is that? Uh yeah, you know, I think that sometimes we're just too self-focused and not enough focus on what the scriptures actually have to say. About the Messiah. About Instead the Messiah. of being Messiah-focused, Jesus-focused, yeah. Because mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. it's not really about what, what I'm doing. He's doing the Father's will. Even when I don't do the Father's will. He's I, doing the Father's he's will. Doing the he's fa- keeping us. That's the Father's will. <laughs> that's it. Okay. Yeah, that's the skepticism that we talked about earlier. Well, we know what scripture says, but it can't be that simple. No, yeah. no. It just can't Because I'm so bad. Yes. Okay. So I, I have to do something. Okay, okay, so it's not just the Messiah always doing the Father's will. That's I think that's crucial uh, that we understand it. He's always obedient to the Father, but he's also got pretty tight grip. Uh, so, Eva, you want to read uh, John 10, 26 and through 30? Sure. Yeah, yeah, this is one of our... That's one of your passages. That's one of I my know. very favorite passages. Um, John 10, 26, it says... 30, yeah. uh, it says... Um, my sheep, or we'll start with verse 27. My sheep hear my father's voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. And this always makes me think of when our 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 first son was born. And we lived on this big, big, like ten lane highway in Queens, and, a, we, and it was it was a huge yeah, yeah, interstate. It was an inter big, big. It was in it was an inter. It wasn't a 
highway like I-57, but it was a huge road in the middle of Queens. And we had to cross from one side to the other. When we did, Michael and I would go on each side. We would each hold our son's hand. That, because we weren't going to turn loose of him in the middle of this dangerous traffic. Yeah. And that's the picture here of that no one's going to snatch us out of the Messiah's hand. Or the Father's hand. Or the Father's hand. And then people will say, yeah, but I could get away. I could pull my hand out. <laughs> and that's why they think that they're not secure. Well, no, you get, get go back to that picture. Our little baby son wasn't going to be able to pull yeah. his, his hand away from us because we had it. <laughs> we had that toddler to keep him safe in the middle of that traffic. And the Father and the Lord Jesus has our son to keep us safe. Our, our hands, yeah. Our hands, out of the danger. Yeah. yeah. So uh, what do you say when someone says, but I could jump out of his hand? Yeah, I I would say if God has actually determined, going back to Romans chapter 8, to for no predestined call justify and glorify us, and it's a package deal, and that's his purpose, Romans eight twenty eight. then I would say if we can frustrate God's eternal purpose— then he's not very authoritative or very powerful himself, and we have a massive amount of power and authority to be able to do that and frustrate his plans. And I'm thinking, no, it doesn't really work that way, that God God is determined to keep us, and he will. You know, every once in a while people say, well, so in other words, I can go out and sin all I want, and there's no consequences. I'm going to die and go to heaven, and it's really great. And I said, well, look, there are consequences. Number one, you go out and live that way. If you're in a Bible-believing church, they'll take you through church discipline <laughs> if you live like that, number one. <laughs> number two, um, when you die and go to heaven, you are going to face a lack of rewards because you didn't live in the power of the Spirit for the glory of God. You're going to face an eternal lack of rewards. You'll be in heaven. Mm-hmm. And then third, you're going to have all these awful consequences in our life. To, for somebody to say, well, I can live however I want. No, there's going to be consequences now and later if we just live and are presumptuous about grace. Yeah, I think it's uh, it shows a lack of understanding of what our relationship with God is like. It would be like a man marrying his his high school sweetheart and saying, well, now that I'm married, I can just go out and sleep with everybody because I'm already married to Betty. She's yeah. my wife, and it doesn't matter. I can just sleep with everybody now. Well, I'm secure right. <laughs> in my relationship with wow. Betty, my wife. Well, what would you say to a person who had that attitude? Don't get married. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, gonna, Betty, run trouble. away, run Betty, away. Yeah, yeah. But that's that same that's the heart of that same attitude. Yeah. But the grip of Messiah and and the Father far stronger than ours. Right. We can't get away from him. Right. Uh okay. Here's I think this is the the aspect of I think the Messiah's obviously his love. You you touched on uh nothing could separate us from the love of God, which is found where? In Christ Jesus. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he is faithful in his love. But what I think about, too, is uh, his intercession for mm. us. And here's the thing I think about in terms of his intercession. If I ever talk to someone who has been unjustly accused by the law, I always tell them, you better get a good lawyer. But I've talked to people when I was a pastor who actually broke the law and were in serious trouble. And do you know what I said to those people? I said, you better get a good lawyer. Because (laughs) we often think you only need a good lawyer if you're innocent. You need a better lawyer if you're guilty. And and we are guilty. And so what does the Lord Jesus do for us? He intercedes for us. Anyone, I I can throw out verses, but I don't know if you guys want to jump in on that. Sure. um, Let me just read it In, in Romans 8, 33. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? 
God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Now, not to steal our thunder, but Mm -hmm. in verse 26, it talks about the Spirit interceding for us as well. I'm thinking, wait, okay, so if the Son intercedes and the Spirit intercedes, and especially as it's mentioned in the text here, the Son interceding for us in terms of our loving relationship with God, well, then who can come along? Who has greater authority than God who has chosen us and Christ who has died for us and risen from the dead? Who has greater authority to come and cause God to be turned against us or cause us to fall out of his love? Nobody. Nobody. I was thinking also of um, 1 John 2, 1, where it says that, uh, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus the Messiah, the righteous. That's that's so great because it's the reality that we do sin. That we will sin. Yeah, Yeah. we do sin. And And when we sin... We have an advocate with the Father, someone who intercedes. We have a really good lawyer. We do. We have a really good <laughs> the lawyer. The best lawyer. Yeah. Uh, uh, thinking about the uh, – you're talking about Christ's role in all this. Thinking about uh, – there's so many emphatic terms in, in the passages that we've been going through here this hour. I'm thinking of, uh, of 1 John 1, 7. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all, all sin. sin. And, and that is helpful to me, hopefully helpful to some other people too, because we like to think, we talked about this earlier, uh, oh, oh, well, yeah, but you don't know what I did. You, you, you don't know the mistakes I've made. I mean, sure, sure, yeah, Jesus, he can forgive those things that you guys did, but you don't know what I did. And we just need that regular reminder, no, all sin, no matter what we've done, his, he cleanses us. Yeah. Wow. Well, I'm, I'm thinking about Hebrews 7, 21, which says that... Uh, He became a priest with an oath made by the one before him. So Jesus is the guarantor of a better covenant. He's a priest. He mediates for us. He lives forever. He lives forever. To make intercessions. Yes. Well, we're going to talk more about this when we we come back. The Holy Spirit will stay with us. We're coming right back. I want to tell you about this month's free gift from Chosen People Ministries. People often tell me they only learned about this worldwide outreach to the Jewish people through my mentioning it here on Open Line. Well, this month, Chosen People Ministries is offering the booklet to an ancient people. This is the autobiography of Rabbi Leopold Cohn. It tells the story of the trials and triumphs of a young rabbi in his native rural Hungary in the late 19th century and his quest for truth. Leopold's trip to the New World and his indescribable joy in finding Yeshua are told in inspiring and timeless detail. Rabbi Cohn went on to found Chosen People Ministries. For your free copy of To an Ancient People, just go to the Open Line website. That's openlineradio.org. Scroll down. You'll see the link that says, A Free Gift from Chosen People Ministries. Click on that. You'll be sent to a page where you can sign up for your very own free copy of To an Ancient People. Welcome back. I'm Michael Ray Delnick. I'm here with the uh, all-star panel of Eva Ray Delnick, <laughs> Mike Van Lanningham, and Cisco Cotto talking about the security of the believer, the perseverance of the Savior. You know, I have a friend that works here at Moody Bible Institute, and he just began listening to Open Line this past year. I'm so thrilled he actually listens. And he just told me, uh, because I say it every week, he's just become a kitchen table partner. 
And I'm so grateful for all our listeners, but I'm especially grateful for Kitchen Table Partners. They are the people who give their gifts to OpenLine every month to make it possible for me to teach God's Word right here every week. If you're listening, perhaps you'd consider becoming a Kitchen Table Partner too. Then every other week you'll start receiving a Bible study moment. That's a special audio Bible study designed exclusively for our Kitchen Table Partners. I'll send it to you in an email every other week. You can listen to it. hope it'll be an encouragement to you. I hope you'll consider becoming a Kitchen Table Partner. If you do, if you'd like to become a Kitchen Table Partner, call 888-644-7122 or sign up online at openlineradio.org. Well, guys, back to the... uh, I'm using guys in the generic sense. In the Chicago way. It's the Chicago Chicago way. That's what I always say to my class. Okay, I know there's girls in here, but I say guys. It's the Chicago way. That's it. Uh, When I think of the Holy Spirit's role, there's uh, one specific ministry of the Holy Spirit. There's several that secures us as believers, that we can't lose our salvation. But there, there's one in particular that I think of. I don't know if you're thinking of any others. Uh, I'll let you guys go first with what you think. I, I was going to go, you know, I'm sorry for just being a broken record here, although nobody knows what that means anymore. Um, yeah. go, <laughs> and we'll go back to Romans chapter 8, where in Romans chapter 8, the Spirit is mentioned 19 times. Wow. 19 times in Romans 8. And um, and some really encouraging verses, you know, let me start at Romans 8, verse 10. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is literally, it's the Spirit is life because of righteousness. That is because we're righteous in Christ, and the Spirit dwells within us, we have life because He is there. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. And so the Spirit lives in us. He is life. And so He will give us and has given us eternal life as well. There's other things to say about the Spirit's ministry here that but, he... But, but, but I'll let you go on. He's indwelling us. He's indwelling are, us. Are you saying that we can't evict him? I am saying that we can't in, evict him. That's I it. love it. That's yeah. it. When he, he, when he comes to live somewhere, we can't make him leave. <laughs> uh, anyone else want to Not add? our choice of whether he stays or goes. Yeah. Right? Right. He's yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what, what was that play uh, that uh, about this guy that comes at... Uh, Christmas time, he breaks his leg and he won't leave. The man who came to dinner. Yeah. Well, the Holy Spirit, the difference between the man who came to dinner and the, the Holy Spirit is the man who came to dinner was pretty annoying. But the Holy <laughs> Spirit who won't leave gives us life. What a difference. So uh, anyone else? What is? Well, I'll, I'll mention another verse. I mean, okay. again, in Romans <laughs> chapter 8, um, the, uh, the Spirit himself testifies with us, with our spirit, that we are the children of God. And I want to suggest that as a result, um, in verse 15 also, Paul says, you've not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you've received a spirit of adoption of sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. So if somebody is struggling with the assurance of their salvation and they cry out to God because because they're concerned that they might not be saved, that crying out to God is a result of the indwelling spirit. Yeah. It's the Spirit who causes us to cry out to God. And so if we say, you know, Lord, I just wish I had assurance of my salvation, the fact that you do that is a proof of the indwelling Holy Spirit in you and that you are saved. Good. That's a good one. I, I know, I think of Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 4 where it talks about that we are sealed by the Spirit. 
He says, well, what is the significance of being sealed by the Holy Spirit? You know, what's funny about this, he asked me the same question in my ordination council. <laughs> I did. Wait uh, a minute. I wasn't did. invited to your ordination <laughs> council? Oh, oh believe oh, me, I man. did you a favor. We're going to talk. Uh, it was yeah. brutal. Uh, it's this beautiful aspect of our life in Christ in which we are marked off for him. Think of the old uh, the old wax seal that they used to put on envelopes to say, hey, th- this is from my hand. This is mine. This belongs to me. The Holy Spirit does that to each and every believer. You are mine. And as we've been talking about assurance here, is it up to us to decide, I'm yours, I'm not. I'm yours, I'm not. I'm yours, I'm not. No, no, no. God, the Holy Spirit says, you are mine and seals you forevermore. Yeah, until the day of redemption. That means when we stand in his presence. Yeah. Uh, that seal can't be broken right. until we stand before him. So, uh, Going back to this whole idea about could you just say, okay, now I'm saved. I can just do whatever I want. I don't care if God approves or not. Yeah, yeah. It going, it's linked to the seal thing because it talks about how that we shouldn't grieve the Holy Spirit by our stupid, rebellious, sinful, dumb actions. By Ephesians whom you 4. were sealed for the day of redemption. Yeah, yeah. Ephesians 4.30. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're, the thing, I love the idea. First of all, uh, what the Holy Spirit does, he puts us into the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12.13, we're, we're baptized by the Holy Spirit. Then we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. He lives within us. And then he puts a seal on us and we can't break out. That seal can't be broken until we're in the presence of God. I wonder if any person who fears losing their salvation can think that anything that we can do is stronger than the Holy Spirit of God. Mm. Wow. Think about it. When God created the world, the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the deep, and it was through the Spirit uh, the, the the Father was the architect, the Son was the builder, and the Holy Spirit was the instrument in his hand that he used to build the world. Could we be stronger than that? That's no. just it's just amazing when I consider how how vast the triune God is and how powerful and how secure we are. I just think you know we we live under a pile of guilt, and that's you know I understand we do things wrong, but God is so gracious, and He not only saves us but He wants to secure us and keep us safe. Wow, well, friends, that's the first hour. Can you believe it? That went fast. Thanks for listening, everyone. First hour is only done now, but we've got a second hour coming up on most of these stations. If your station doesn't carry open line, you can always check it out on the Moody Radio app or listen online. Be sure to do that. During the break, check out our webpage, openlineradio.org. It's got our current resource and also how to become a kitchen table partner. Uh, There's also a link to my personal webpage if you want to find out a little bit more about me. The second hour of Open Line is coming up straight ahead with more discussion about the security of the believer in Jesus. Open Line with Dr. Michael Rydelnik is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. 